Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. My guest today is founder and design director at Meller & Smith, Paul Meller. Meller & Smith is a brand and ad agency whose motto is, we get our clients noticed. Uh, Paul just told me before the show that he is a professional loudmouth. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to uh, having a conversation about uh, getting people noticed. Paul, welcome to the show. Cheers, man. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say after <laughs> being introed as a loudmouth, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Doesn't sound too loud so far. So maybe you could talk, you know, for folks who are not familiar with the agency, maybe you could talk a little bit about the agency and yourself just to kind of set the context. Yeah. So um, I started Meller and Smith 10 and a half years ago, which is quite unusual to have an agency that's still going after 10 and a half years because generally one or two things happen either they've gone bust by now um, or they've been bought by one of the big groups one of the big uh, advertising networks and martin sorrell um so we're quite unusual already um but our our history is built on a clearly defined positioning which is we get people noticed we get brands noticed um and that's a very difficult thing to do um, it's it's so difficult that most marketeers don't don't do it. Uh, most agencies pay lip service to it. Uh, they certainly talk a, a good game, but don't actually deliver. Um, and and the, the 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 I mean I'm, I'm not really one for stats and research, uh, but the the one the one piece that backs that up is uh, the average Londoner. And this is the same for you know New York or or, or any uh, big urban. Uh, center the average Londoner sees a thousand ads a day um, and of those thousand ads so that be radio TV print digital whatever it may well be mobile so of those thousand ads 89% of them are immediately forgotten and that's because they're rubbish yeah um, and uh, of those remaining 11 only uh, only four percent are remembered positively I mean I'd rather be remembered negatively um, the ad agencies, marketing agencies don't practice what they preach. Uh, they're all vanilla uh, and they're all the same, uh, yet they say they're not. Um, and, uh, and and that's where we've carved a, um, a positioning and it's very, um, it's closely held positioning that, uh, that, that breaks us out from the crowd. And, and we're, you know, 180 degrees different to the vast majority, if not almost all, of the ad agencies, um, certainly in the UK, across the world. Mm. Yeah, I can't think of one ad that I've seen. I can't think of one ad. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. I can't remember yeah. one. I mean, the, the only ad that I can remember is from years ago, like Dollar Shave Club or something like that. Yeah, which, which yeah, um, which of course wasn't made as an ad. It was made as an investor video. You know, that was when uh, the guy that started Dollar Shave Club was looking for investors. So he thought, well, I'll make a video to drum up support. Oh, it wasn't even made that. as an ad. I mean, it's, and it's and it's the one ad that you can recall. I mean, it is actually an ad now, but it wasn't when it started out. So, yeah, it's di- absolute dire straits. I mean, I was in the U.S. last week. I was shooting a, um, for a client in Chicago. I was watching the TV um, and they're rubbish. They're just as rubbish as they are in the U.K. There's, I mean, no one It's such small amounts of good work being produced um, uh, it, for clients. Yet you wouldn't think that if you um, heard, you know, the investor calls or the, um, or the, you know, the interviews done by either marketing agencies, ad agencies, whatever, design agencies, whatever they may well be. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is almost happening on two levels. So you do this sort of thing for your clients, but also, of course, you're going to dog food it and 
do it for yourself and actually walk the walk, whatever the, whatever the talk is, you're going to yeah. walk it. So yeah. for my listeners, uh, uh, many, many, many of them find themselves in a situation where their clients or prospective clients cannot really tell the difference between, you know, one software developer and another software developer or one copywriter and another copywriter. They just, you know, they're like, what's your hourly rate? And then they compare, they think they're comparing apples to apples between two different, you know, um, firms or two different contractors by this hourly rate. And like, oh, well, geez, 150 seems kind of high. We're going to go with someone who's 110. And there's no, they're just totally undifferentiated in, uh, they think they're different from each other. They can see the differences from each other, but their clients, there's no meaningful difference to the client, but from one to the other. So yeah. if you were going to approach um, someone who had a small firm, maybe like your, I, sh- I say small, I don't know how many people you have, or you, it's probably a big so firm. We're 10. No, no, we're 10. We're purposely very small. It fills me with horror trying to run a, a big agency. I want to be small, which again is different to everybody else. Sure. So where does someone get an idea first for how they would stand out from what look like undifferentiated competitors? Um, well, I think the first thing that nobody ever really considers is the work. So you can talk about, we can talk about positioning in a minute, I'm sure, and I'm sure we will, but your, your service, your work uh, is the, is one of the biggest differentiators between you and somebody else. So if you're fucking good, then that's going to differentiate you from somebody that's average. Um, So immediately it puts you up on the, the A game level of, uh, of people, uh, of players. Um, If you're mixing around with the B's and the C's, then you, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to struggle. What, what do you mean? Good. How do you measure good? I mean, real like uh, ball breakingly good where someone sees it and they think, shit, that is good. That is really good. I'm going to remember how good that piece of work was world-class okay. and people can concentrate, you know, the, uh, they concentrate on branding and positioning and, and they don't do a particularly good job, but they do all of those things and they don't concentrate on the work. And it doesn't have to be client work. Um, you know, it can be self-starting projects. It can be, I mean, there's a big, uh, uh buzz at the moment in London, um, around the, what we call side hustles. So side projects, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be the work that you're paid for. Now, I think it's better if it is, <laughs> um, but, but things that are self-starting work can be just as powerful as client work, but getting in front of and doing work for, Big brands where you do really good work, that is going to differentiate you immediately. I mean, that is the first thing to, to say before you go into positioning. It actually feeds into your positioning because the more confident you are in your service and, and your proposition, uh, then you will then feed into your proposition. Okay. And I think by, 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 you know, by extension, again, you're billing. You know, the, the, this, this idea that, you know, everyone should be charging the same, an egalitarian approach. No, look, you know, if you're good, you should charge more. If you're world class, you should charge even more than that. So here's the, here's the tricky part, though. I'm sure you see this in your, in your industry where people, ad agencies or marketers, they think they're good because they're winning awards, but their stuff's actually really boring or not effective, I should say. Yeah, I mean, fuck awards, honestly. I mean, I would, I, I have no time for awards. Uh, it's, it's just a... Uh, you know, back slapping old boys club of people giving awards to their mates. Um, I think people are starting to uh, realize the 
the incestuousness of awards really and it happens across every industry you know if you sponsor an award then you get given one you know if you <laughs> if you buy two tables at the gala dinner then you win an award mm-hmm. i mean it's pretty incestuous right mm-hmm. um and i think uh people in various industries are waking up to that fact if they don't know that already so i'm not talking about awards i'm talking about work where you go yeah you see it and you recognize it um if it's software developers it's working on um things that are outwardly facing so if you're a software developer don't just work on some back-end stuff that never gets seen go and work for a um you know a a games developer where you can then talk about the the games that you worked on that people might see Mm -hmm. you know if you're um if you're front end then work on something that's you know a, a really high profile uh web project or develop a new piece of technology or um hack something you know like just do something that gets you noticed that people go shit i recognize that i saw that in the news two months ago six months ago whatever it is Mm -hmm. that is the number one way of differentiating yourself is to be really really good at what you do right so yeah i just wanted to tease that out a little bit because everyone listening thinks they're really good but the thing that they think they're really good at is invisible. It's like this, oh, my code is so yeah. elegant and I'm so clever. And uh, yeah. and I'm sure your code is elegant and you are clever and that's great, but nobody can see that. And yeah. it's not a differentiator. So, uh, you know, and to give a software example, you know, think of uh, John Resig, who created jQuery as an open source thing. I mean, he basically is famous in our world because he created this open source uh, JavaScript library and you know, there's this, and that's, that's me dating myself cause that's been a long time now, but you can start <laughs> a, uh, an open source repo, just like Paul's suggesting, yeah. do something amazing. You could do work for, do work for name. You know, if you, if, if somebody came to me and I needed API work done and they were like, oh yeah, you know, I worked on real time communications at Slack. I'd be like, okay, you win. Like, okay, let's do yeah. this. Well, how much is it going to cost me? You know, I, I talked to a designer one time who designed the like button on Facebook, like big deal. It's the like button, but it's used by billions of people. So it's kind of like, yeah. huh, okay, that's special. It, it creates, it makes, it makes you go, oh, cool. That's remarkable. And, and yeah. it's good. And it's good. I mean, it's, it works, I guess, <laughs> you know, so, okay, great. Yeah. I just and wanted the to. Fact that you, the point, the, the proof there is that you can remember those. Yeah, exactly. How many developers have you spoken to over the last 10 years? fucking loads I should imagine and you can and you can recall you know the person that was you know the API at Slack or the person Mm -hmm. that uh it was the graphic designer uh, for the like button on Facebook Mm -hmm. like that is that's that's the proof of this yeah they've got street cred yeah all right cool so so once once someone does you know they're they're doing good work they're landing big gigs um, maybe they're, maybe they're, they've got this side hustle where they don't need anybody's permission and they can create this amazing, uh, library or plugin or framework or whatever it might be and, you know, give it away free and be the guy that did that or the gal that did that after that. Uh, I mean, is that just, you just keep talking about that or keep trying to do more of that? Where does the, where does the sort of, I feel like you're, where does the path lead? Yeah. yeah. Where does it go after that? It seems like, because f- from uh, and maybe it's different because you have a different your your business is in a different kind of industry. But you also you stand for something. You have a particular your your um, kind of I don't want to say mission, but your value proposition is articulated very clearly. Like we'll get you noticed. You could say a thousand yeah. other things, but you picked that thing and you stick with it. So what what does that look like for a company? How does that make things better? Um, 
Okay, so once you produce some world-class talent, then I think it gives you the right to think about how you can stand for something. And I think, largely speaking, whilst you're in that process, you start to stand for something. <laughs> you know, it starts to happen by sort of, you know, natural selection. You're right. So Mellor and Smith, my agency, we stand for, we get you noticed. It's as simple as that. It's very, very simple. It's not couched in caveated out. It's very, very simple, easy to remember. And there's a clear benefit to the end user. So my clients are, it sounds very big headed, but we work with some of the biggest brands in the world and some of the smallest. Mm -hmm. So some of the ones you'd have heard of, we work with Amazon, work with AWS, we work with Expedia, recently started working with Spotify. Like there are some big, big, big brands. And then we work Mm -hmm. with some tiny brands, startups, charities, hustlers whatever you know whatever it is you know (laughs) we we work with sort of we generally work with massive and small we do work with some uh, in the middle but they largely you know just don't fancy it really that's really interesting why do you think that is uh so i have a um i have a theory that that the people that have grown a business and these might be the, the original founders or they might, you know, they might be it might be a um, publicly traded company. You know, people that are in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth position in a market share, they talk a good game, but they don't actually really fancy it. They just want to, you know, maintain the status quo. And they, um, yeah, they, they, they. They want it. They don't want to get the sack. You know, the, the yeah. marketing director of those businesses, the CMO, the VP of marketing, which is generally our our client. Mm-hmm. You know, they're interested in maintaining their uh, their standard of living. They might, you know, the kids are in private school. You know, they've got a second house, a holiday home. They don't want to lose these things, and so they it's just too much to risk. Um, and then the people we work with are, you know, they're people that understand that they have to stand out. They have to be memorable to win. Uh, to 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 grow market share, to grow their business, and to take you know to take on the competition. The, the, then the little guys, the ones we work with, understand that they have to roll the dice. They have to be. They have nothing going for them because mm-hmm. they're they're the new uh, they're, they're, you know they're new entrant to the market. Nobody's heard about them. They have no credibility. They have no history. So they have to. Uh, break the rules to to get noticed Mm. and that's how they'll then grow their market share and you see industries being you know turned upside down by some of those there's a hell of a lot of startups out there that are fucking terrible Mm -hmm. and they think that because they developed a nice little piece of software or a nice little app that's enough and it's that's about 10 percent of the work the other 90 percent of the work is telling as many fucking people as possible about your product not finessing the product that you've come up with. Got it. And yep. that's probably that's probably not what your uh, your listeners want to hear. They're like, no, no, I want I want the perfect product, the perfect product. No, right. get it as get it good, and then uh, get it out there and smash as many people in the face as possible with your message. <laughs> um, and now you know that's you know you you then it's a work in progress becoming world class like i said at the start you know you've got to get it's you know you don't become world class overnight you know you've got to work at it really hard it takes a long time um you know these are uh, these are crafts to to learn yeah you learn your trade sure yeah and most people most folks that i work with who are still in that learning phase where they're they either they're kind of new or they're intermediate and they're not um 
they're still in love with the craft. They're actually usually pretty happy because they just bill by the hour. They're happy to get paid by the hour to, to get to, you know, rate react apps or whatever the thing is that they love when it, when it starts to really hurt is when you get sick of that and you're like, man, I can't write another one of these things. Uh, and then you start looking at your annual income and it hasn't really gone up in five years and your, your, your skill that you loved maybe not so fresh anymore and there's a bunch of new kids doing it for pizza and you know it starts to get a little scary and then they think like you know it's time to do something about this so those are the folks who i think those so they're 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 good they know what they're doing they usually when they get to this point that i'm describing they definitely know they're what they're doing um i don't they might not have any outwardly visible uh world-class evidence but some of them do so as as they're getting to that point and you know you're sort of suggesting and I agree with you that that you'll start to develop this point of view you'll have some kind of thing that you stand for or a motto or something that's kind of bubbling around because you've been doing this for five ten years and you know what's up you know the you know at least you know the competitive landscape of what you're dealing with you might not be super great at understanding who your clients are or like we can build rails apps for anybody uh, and that kind of thing so how does that, if you were going to sit down with somebody like I just described, what, what would you, what do they do? What do I do? First of all, don't, don't look at what the competition is doing. Don't do anything based on what the competition is doing. You should be looking at what you want to stand for. Then when you start to develop it, so you should be looking at what do I stand for? What do I actually stand for? You know, what is it that is unique about me? You know, what are the, what are the, uh, defining moments or the threads that run through all of my best work? What is it that I actually believe in? What am I pissed off about? What do I absolutely love? Um, those are the things that they should be thinking about. That will then start to formulate some ideas or an idea. Um, and then you look at the, uh, the marketplace and you'd like to think that that puts you in direct, uh, it, it puts you directly opposite everybody else. Largely speaking, in most industries, everyone is couched around one area, one sort of positioning. Um, you know, the, very few is it spread. You know, very few industries is it spread. Most industries, they're couched around one sort of area of positioning. And then you should be the complete opposite to that. Yep. Now, hopefully, what you believe in and what pisses you off and what you're fucking good at <laughs> will take you to that place. If it doesn't, then, you know, you have to think, uh, you know, again about how you would move into that space. Um, but that it has to be true for me. Uh, I think people can spot a bullshitter a mile off. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you fundamentally believe in uh, in what it is that you stand for, then people, they're far likelier to believe when you, you know, believe you when you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will take you to the direct opposite to everybody else, which is exactly where you need to be. And right. it's exactly why no fucker goes over there because it's really scary <laughs> because you're the only person over there, yeah. but you're immediately memorable. You're immediately differentiated from everybody else. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I suppose it goes back to just evolutionary DNA. Like, you don't want to stand apart from the herd because it's yeah. dangerous. But that Seth Godin has this great, great point he makes in Icarus Deception about how people's comfort zone and people's security zone used to be overlapping 100%. Like the things that made you safe were the things that made you comfortable. But now the safety zone has moved 
and the comfort zone is still where it was. So the things that make you comfortable no longer make you safe. And what you're describing is describing is an example of that, where it feels dangerous to set yourself apart from the crowd because it used to be dangerous, literally. But now it's dangerous to not do that. It's dangerous for your business at least. So I, yeah. I just, yeah, I love that point. And so it's still people, I know people are listening to like, yeah, but what's different about me or what do I, do I just, do I just like swear? Like Paul, is that what I need to do to be over there? Or like, you know, do they look, they look at the work they look at things when you say things that piss them off, what is, how would you, let's say, let's say I hate hourly billing. So yeah. what, how does that not to put you on the spot and like, have you do me, but it, like, what's the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're my muse. Um, no, so the immediately, you know, you stand out because you say, "Well, hourly billing sucks. Mm-hmm. It's stupid, right?" So it's strong language. That's the that's the first thing. So it it, it immediately feels raw and honest. And that's where I get back to that point. You have to believe in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You don't have to swear. I mean, I swear quite a lot, and actually, that causes problems because people, you know, new uh, prospects will go. Hey Paul, I, I really like what you stand for, and, and I, but I don't want you to create advertising that swears. That's mm-hmm. like, cool, man. I'm, I'm not like a one-trick pony where, <laughs> like, I just put the word "fuck" in your advertising. You know, like it's it's come on, let's have a bit more. Uh, so, it, 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 whilst it is a differentiator for us, it, it also causes problems, and we have to, you know, we have to think about how we um, communicate that and how we put bring that across. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our defining thing and our differentiator isn't that I swear. It's a, it's a, a contributing factor. It's, it's something, you know, I this is how I talk, not to my kids, but this is how I talk to, you know, in other parts of my life. And so people understand that this is the real me. This is the real Paul Mello when they're talking to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talking about hourly, you know, hourly billing is nuts. You know, using that word, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. That's people understand. Yeah, he thinks like that. Now, I might not agree with you. Right. Some people might not agree with you, but they believe that you're being honest at that point. And that's where I think it becomes really powerful when you're the opposite to everybody else. Uh, that immediately gives you some credibility in terms of like, well, I actually stand for this because only a nutcase would do that. You know, if they didn't <laughs> believe that that was the case. Right. And then you, but then in the, the the method of communication, the tone you use, the the power, the emotion that you try to drive is when it comes through in its honesty. And if you couple that with world class work, you're a long way along the road to standing out from the crowd, standing for something, being memorable, and to the point about the podcast, being far more likely to be able to uh, change how you bill and how mm-hmm. you get paid. Um, probably um, not just you know, changing from a, a method, not just changing the method, but changing the value that you and uh, other people put on your uh, service. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you aren't just selling time at that point. And that's clearly, the, you know, that's clearly your point in, in this. And I think it's, they're all interlinked. You know, it gives you confidence to be able to say, well, hey, I'm worth this. This is, this is my worth for me to do this job for you. Or this is, you know, take it one step further. This is how much this work is worth for you and your business, right, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. And, you know, there are some very smart people um, that have started to you know, to build like that, thinking about uh, what's it worth to you, the end customer, you know, the end client. Well, then that's how I'm going to decide how much it's uh, I'm willing to charge. Right, value based pricing. Yeah, and I think that's that's you know that's the um, 
and I'm going to bastardize this uh, this anecdote, but um, uh, there's the anecdote of uh, I'm pretty sure it's Picasso sat in a um, probably drunk because that's <laughs> how he used to do all of his stuff, and that's why he's an absolute baller. Um, but uh, you know, he was sat in a cafe um, and he was sketching on a napkin, and there was a tourist. And I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say that it was an American tourist, but probably, you know, maybe it was an American tourist. And um, <laughs> and uh, and she said, "That's brilliant." Uh, just he was about to leave. Oh, can I can I have your napkin? He's like, "Yeah, sure." It's sixty thousand, you know, francs. Let's say dollars, whatever it was. You know, a large amount of money. She says, "That's crazy. That's just taking you two minutes, and it's on a napkin." He's like, "No, no. This is taking me sixty years to hone my craft, and that's his value." Right. And with that, I think he put it in his pocket and walked off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a Miles Davis story. There's a, there's a lot of stories like that where it's like, um, it's not the time that it took to create the deliverable that matters. And, and honestly, I would say the 60 years doesn't matter either if it's garbage. So if you yeah. get both of those things, what matters is that it, it, you know, in a B2B situation, what matters is that the buyer is getting some value out of the, what you did, what, whatever the engagement was, they're glad they gave you all that money because it gave them some kind of result. So in your case, the result is getting noticed, right? Like, so you go, you would say to a, so if I was a sales guy for you and somebody said, Hey, we really want to work with Miller and Smith. And I'd be like, all right, well, why would you go with somebody expensive like us? Why not just get somebody cheap? Why not just have your marketing department do it? Why not go with, you know, some competitor? Why not get somebody on Fiverr? Why not? Uh, why do you even want to get noticed? Like, are you, you know, like what's, who cares? Like, why not just keep yeah. doing what you're doing? And you, I, I, you know, I've never done this for you or for, for a question like that, but what you're offering I'm gonna is. I'm going to sign you up. <laughs> I'm going to get you selling for me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing that you need to, if you do want to value price and engagement, and that's not the only way to price and engagement, but if you did want to do that uh, in a case like, like Miller and Smith, I would need to find out from a client why they want to get noticed. What do they think that's going to do for them? Like big deal. They notice you. If you don't have anything for sale, that's not going to get you anything. What do you have for sale? What, what do you want them to notice? Um, have you been trying to get noticed for six years and it's not working or, you know, what's the pain here that we're trying to solve? How are we going to measure it? How are you going to know that you're getting noticed? So you basically have, if you do want to value price, that's the kind of path you go down where they convince you that there's a good project here. And even though you're the one selling technically, uh, I, I tell people to act more like a doctor where, you know, patient walks in, says, doc, I need a triple bypass. The doctor's not going to say, sure, jump up on the table. Let me get my scalpel. They're going to, they're going to diagnose the situation. Maybe you don't need a triple bypass, you know, client comes to you and maybe they don't need to get noticed. Maybe their product stinks. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of looping back to the standing apart from the crowd and and getting back to that concept let's let's say that someone is nervous about like they have an idea but they don't really have the courage to embrace it and like go all in i'm sure you must deal with this constantly where you've got what you think is a killer idea it solves the client's problem it's going to get them noticed and they're like that's great but can we just change this one thing like, does that, I, that must happen, right? Yeah. And my answer is no, it can't. <laughs> um, you're paying for me and my advice. You know, I don't tell my accountant how to do my accounts. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't tell engineers how to design, you know, engineer bridges 
Right. Yeah, I you know there there has to be a value placed on my skill, mm-hmm. and it's it is valuable. Like what we do for for businesses and for brands is valuable. And uh, now that does sound like I'm difficult to work with. Actually, I disagree. I think it makes me very easy to work with because it means that you know exactly where you stand. Just do what I say. It's easy. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> well, no. The I mean, we we have a a sort of a ninety ten rule, and that is that. 90% of businesses and brands won't want to work with us because we're not their cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And that's a very English saying, but because uh, uh, all I do is drink tea. Um, but, um, but yeah, we have a 90% of uh, people out there, businesses, brands, whatever, uh, won't want to work with us, but 10% absolutely love working with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we we do what we say we're going to do. You know, we get them noticed. There's a there's a value applied to uh, to our work. Um, and so my my advice would be, if anyone's you know hesitating, is do you are you prepared to not do it? You know, um, there has to there has to be some fear. It has you have to be afraid? Um, uh, you know, of doing it. Otherwise, you're not doing it properly. Uh, you know, if, if you immediately go, yeah, that's, um, that's it. I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm moving in this direction and there's not a moment's hesitation that it probably means that you're not moving far enough out. <laughs> it means that you're probably still staying in the safe place. Exactly. Um, you know, that you talk about it. Yeah. You, you, you know, you hear, you hear athletes talk about the butterflies before big sporting events. You know, that, you know, that's, that's not because, you know, you know, Usain Bolt before, maybe he's a bad example because he's the most chill guy in the world. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, you hear about athletes having butterflies before they uh, go out on uh, and perform, you know, different sporting events or whatever, or actors before they go on stage, things like that. You know, you need those. They're the things that give you that fighting edge. And they're the things I think that tell you that you're onto something. Exactly. Um, if you don't have them, then it means you haven't moved out of the safe space. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, of course it's a risk. I mean, we talk about take fucking risks. Mm-hmm. It should be risky. That's the whole point. If it's not, then you're not moved far enough away and you're just in the same space as everybody else. You're just on the edge. And if you're going to do that, you might as well not bother because it's a lot of time and effort to do this. Um, and if you're just going to move to the edge of the safe space, you're going to get no discernible benefit and you're just going to, you know, use a lot of your time. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to pile on there that, that, Feeling that you're nervous to do something to me is the sign that you should do it. Uh, you should push your boundaries, and if if you really think about it. So now, this for for my listeners, we're not talking about Procter and Gamble. You know, what's really the risk? They're already getting virtually no leads. You know, the website does <laughs> practically nothing for them. What's the big yeah. deal of you know changing all your headlines to say you know we only work with credit unions or? Uh, or, or just make some bold statement that's clear, concise. I like the word that you said before, raw. Um, whatever it is, whatever's consistent with your personality and your values and all of that, but like, but that's true. Like, this pisses me off. Things shouldn't be like this, yada, yada, yada. And just kind of own your weirdness, whatever your weird, unique area is. Uh, what, what are you really risking? And the, the thing yeah. I get, everybody's like, oh, but I don't want my existing clients to see it. I'm like, your existing clients aren't going to your website. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's like, it, it's, uh, this is the, the stages I'm kind of trying to walk through in this whole conversation are like, how do I actually be different? How do I understand my own different, what's different about me? How do I get the courage to say it? 
And then, you know, and then we talked a little bit about value pricing, but we're clearly a hundred percent on the same page there. So, yeah, the thing, the thing there is, uh, there's a few, there's a few uh, tips and tricks. Uh, I fucking hate things like that. But anyway, um, it, and that is, uh, the first thing that some, a freelancer or a contractor or, you know, small business is going to do, they're going to go and speak to their mates. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, hey, you know, what do you think of this new logo, these, this new marketing positioning? That is go and speak to their mum. And it, like, it's the worst thing you could possibly do. Uh, don't, uh, I mean, I have a thing about focus groups. I mean, our, our industry or my industry is, is um, oh, completely fucking um, befuddled with market research and focus groups. And all that happens is a bunch of uh, unemployed people go into a room 20 of them you know and they like do you, and they'll be asked do you prefer the logo in blue or red you know <laughs> like fuck off let, let these people like no you know just take your 20 bucks and your sandwich and piss off you know like it, yeah. just do not use that kind of uh, methodology to to uh, validate uh, whether you should you know uh, say so you come up with something validate whether it's actually the right thing to do or not trust your gut it's uh, far. Uh, it's very easy. People seem to totally abandon this wonderful tool that we have, which you know, trusting your gut instinct, um, and they they'd much rather uh, devolve that power to people that know fuck all about what you should be doing, like your friends and family, or to complete strangers, or to some mythical algorithm data. Mm-hmm. It's complete rubbish. The best uh, compass that you have is your gut. I do think, and tell me if you disagree, but I do think that it's important to uh, inform your gut, let's say, by talking to real potential customers, but probably in the product design stage where you're like, am I actually solving a problem here? You know, and I'm not talking about moonshots. I'm talking about stuff that's like, you know, you're an expert at building Rails apps. You're thinking about putting together a a browser plugin that some open source browser plugin, it's going to be a fair amount of work. And you're like, Oh, I kind of like it, but I don't know if anybody has the same problem I have. I would ask around and say, Hey, people who would perhaps have this problem. Do you actually have this problem? Or am I just like super on the edge, like an outlier? And I've got this (laughs) weird problem that nobody else has. And you can tell right away if you just tweet and you're like, Hey, does anybody wish there was a, a browser plugin that would make Trello go vertically instead of horizontally? And if everyone's like, no, that's weird. Why would anyone do that? Then I probably wouldn't spend my time on it. But if I got 800 likes, then I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe there's some interest. But I'm not talking about positioning at this point. I'm talking about like deciding, you know, on a product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not a massive fan of that kind of stuff. It does have a place. It does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I um I think you can only go off. I think the best thing to do is go off your own experience. You know, if you have a problem with something, then chances are a load of other people do. Unless you're, you know, completely fucking mad where, you know, <laughs> no other parts of your life fit into any other kind of commonly accepted patterns. Right. Then probably other people are going to have this same uh, problem and you should trust your gut. I mean, a good, ex- uh, I don't want to use me as an example, um, but, you know, Fuck it, I'm on the podcast, so uh, I might as well. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, we set up, we started um, as a side hustle, an event series called Take Fucking Risks, and that came out of we were all sat in the pub, so the you know the uh, people in the agency, the uh, the people that sit in my studio, um, 
sat in the pub and we were talking and we I talk about taking fucking risks to clients and have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I could only tell one client at a time, you know, one meeting room, one boardroom at a time uh, to take risks, be, uh, you know, get noticed. And so we were like, well, why don't we just do an, a, an event in a pub and see how many people turn up and we'll call it take fucking risks and uh, we'll have someone speak and, and we'll have a couple of beers and uh, it probably won't work but let's give it a go and that was two and a half years ago and 50 people turned up um and yeah they came along and they heard a, a talk actually from a couple of american uh graphic designers called uh good fucking design advice uh <laughs> gfda they're amazing um uh, you should go and get their posters, anybody, because it's a it's a um, an absolute rap sheet of what you should should and shouldn't be doing. Anyway, I'll just plug those guys. Um, cool. But what uh, what transpired with our event is that we realised, wow, there are loads of there's 50 people that we didn't know. We didn't know any of those 50 people. Right. Um, I didn't invite my mum along <laughs> to it, you know. Um, and they all validated in that one moment, and it took us what a month to organise from having the idea in the pub. And obviously, we then put the event on in the same pub that we were in when we had the idea because it felt like, you know, uh, serendipity. And uh, 50 people turned up. We're like, wow, maybe we're onto something here. Let's do another one. And so we did an event for 150 people about two months later. And we sold out like within days. And we were at that point, we were then charging people. So we're like, right, well, it's going to have to be 20, you know, 20 pounds for a ticket. They get a beer and they get to listen to me shoot my mouth off and they get to listen to a speaker shoot uh, his mouth off. And we sold out in days. We're like, shit, this, we're on something here. Uh, and before we knew it, we are now the biggest. This is a side hustle. This is a joke on the side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now the biggest event series for the creative industry in London. We're bigger than all of the other people that put on events for the creative industry that do it for a living. We're bigger than all of those guys. We've got 450 people paying money to come along to our events once a quarter. Wow. I mean, that's, and we, I didn't put it on Twitter. I didn't validate it, you know, with focus groups or anything like that. I just got off my ass and, uh, you know, took a risk by, you know, it could have all fallen, you know, fallen down and been a complete disaster. Uh, and the worst thing that would, if it had been a complete disaster would have been, all right, well, no one turned up. Well, we were going to have a few beers in the pub. That's fine. Um, it would have been worse if one person showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that, okay. So that was the, that was my total risk Yeah, was one person yeah. who I didn't know would turn up and go, well, that was shit. And yeah, yeah. And so let's, let's emphasize that that's not a, you you were not going to die. Like this is okay. not a serious risk, but it feels like it is. Yeah. Like that's an important, I, I'm going to keep hammering on that because the, the, the risk is, is really small. It's an ego thing. Yeah. There's probably, I mean, how much money would you have lost? I mean, like practically nothing, I think right? We put, we put, I don't know, 200, 300 pounds behind the bar. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, it probably, my risk was, let's call it $500 maximum. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, nothing really. Yeah. You know, nothing. If, you, if you think about it, um, it was a risk to my own ego, uh, to be, you know, bruise my own ego. Right. Uh, it bruised my ego in front of, um, the guys that are in, you know, that work for me in the studio, right. um, that'd have been it. I mean, th- I mean, that's, that doesn't seem like too big a risk to me. Right. And yet at the back of it, you know, two, two and a half years later, we've now got an amazing event series that pulls in really big numbers. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. All right, folks. So take some risks. Jeez. What are you for? <laughs> Come on guys. Take some fucking risks. Yeah. 
So, but underlying, I do want to underscore one thing because underlying all of this is if you're doing, if you're, um, differentiating yourself, you're making yourself famous for world-class, whatever it is that you do. Uh, if you turn around and then charge by the hour, you just like throwing it all out the window. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to, I mean, all of these things kind of, it's like this small, you know, uh, sort of concentric circles, like spiraling out from the center. You do, I, I that's how I see it anyway. Um, where I kind of do a little thing and try that and like, oh, that kind of worked. And then, you know, so maybe I'm, I'm building my body of work. I'm building a, a software repo. I'm making it better. And it's people are, you know, people are forking it. I'm getting a lot of stars on GitHub. And uh, I'm also developing my point of view. I'm articulating it more and more clearly and, you know, getting better clients, attracting better clients, being a little bit more confident in the sales cycle and, and value pricing is, or at least some kind of fixed pricing where you're, you're figuring out a way to justify premium rates is going to give you more confidence. It's going to help you. It actually helps you deliver better results because you have more latitude within the budget to deliver something that's super uh, effective. And you yeah. just keep working around in that circle as the, as the business. I, I see it as growing the business in like this spiraling kind of motion. It's less linear feeling. Uh, yeah, I also think, you know, if you're really good, you should be you should be valued as such. And, you know, all of these things are some of their parts. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't just do one of these things. You have to do all of these things, I think. Now, that sounds scary. And, you know, you got you um, you don't all have to, you don't have to do them all at the same time. You know, they can, it can be a it can be a journey that you go on, but you have to set yourself some goals, um, you know, to do it in a certain amount of time. But, yeah, you, the hardest point is starting. I would say. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I talked to a lot of people that are like, well, they don't know what's different about them. They don't know. Well, what project should I start? Like, I would love to do an open source project, but what should it be? And it does kind of boil down to it. You know, just, you know, I'll be coaching someone and and they'll be like that. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, it's kind of like follow your gut. Like, what one do you want to do? Yeah. I mean, we started again, just as another little example. uh, So we use Slack uh, internally within the studio. um, And, uh, because we're English, we drink lots of tea. Actually, some of these fuckers they drink coffee now, which uh, always gets on my goat. But um, they, uh, we we could never decide who was gonna you know, get off their ass and go and make uh, the round of uh, drinks. Mm-hmm. So we developed a little randomizer app that um, that we just for our own internal thing. We didn't validate it with anybody. We didn't say, oh hey, let's put a you know, let's go out and do a focus group to see if other businesses argue about who's going to make the next round of teas or coffees from the kitchen. Um, we just made a little randomizer app um, and then put it on the Slack app store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's now been downloaded by like, I think we've got something like over, I think it's over 200,000 users. <laughs> it's, mad. It's, just, it's just a free little thing. But we just did it. And now, you know, 200,000 people know that we had a problem deciding who was going to make a cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's mad. I mean, it doesn't have to be something huge. It doesn't have to be something, uh, you know, and if and if we were serious about that, we'd, you know, we'd market the hell out of it and we'd use it as a way of showing our how clean our code is, how great our updates are, how much we, you know, understand Python, yeah. whatever the hell it is, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. So that's Risky Picker in the <laughs> Slack app store. Nice. And again, though, that was, I'm guessing that was a very low 
uh, overhead for you to do that. Like, a, yeah. right. So it's not like, so I, I'm totally anti, I'm a hundred percent anti focus groups. Like you say, I would kind of say, well, what you did was validate the idea with a very low investment. Yes. But you did it by actually shipping. So yes. th- yeah, I think that's great. Great. Yeah. I mean, we have a saying, uh, we have a saying in the UK either, um, take a shit or get off the toilet. And that's, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's that is it's that like do something like do something don't just sit there mm-hmm. yeah you're gonna die on the pot deciding which hand to wipe with <laughs> yeah anyway we digress <laughs> yeah yeah that might be a good place to wrap it up <laughs> um so paul thanks so much for joining me today where can people go to find out more about you um well there's a couple of places so i'm on linkedin i think if you just search paul meller uh, you'll see me. I have a. Uh, I'm wearing some pink overalls with a blue background as my profile picture. I post on LinkedIn quite a lot. I don't go in for any other kind of social media. You can go on to uh, the agency itself. Mellow and Smith has you know, Twitter and Instagram and whatever. So you can go on to at Mellow and Smith or you can go to mellowandsmith.com. Um, and then we do actually have two events coming up for our Take Fucking Risks um, series, event series. So the first one is a pub crawl, and it's on the 25th of September. It's in London. Uh, it's, um, I think it's 50 quid a ticket, and you get five pubs, five drinks, five speakers. Um, uh, so that's pretty good value. Uh, that's on the 25th of September in Borough Market in London. And then the second event is the 13th of November. Um, the speakers for that haven't been announced uh, tickets go on sale soon. And that's, uh, yeah, again, in and around Borough Market in London. Uh, and that'll be a huge, that'll be one of the big events. That'll be a 450-person uh, event. Some of the people we're speaking to at the moment for the speakers, I mean, they're, they're just just about finalized, but they're fucking, re- I'm really excited. Um, but the speakers for the 25th of November, uh, 25th of September have been announced. Uh, we've got some great speakers. Um, so if you go to tfr.events, um, you can pick up tickets. Excellent. Fabulous. I wish I was going to be over there that way. Maybe uh, in the future. Sounds like a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking and learning it, it like together are two of my favorite things. Can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time on Ditching Hourly. See ya. Hey, Jonathan again. The next time someone asks for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.